know, coming from sales and not a product management background, I had this vision of what product management does. And I think you asked a question last week on LinkedIn about roadmaps, right? And for me, I always thought that's all product managers do is we go in, we tell them what features we want. The customer's beating us up over it. They create the roadmap. Nobody's ever happy with the delivery schedule, but it is what it is, right? And after reading the book, I realized you do a lot of what I already do in sales, except you do it for a lot of customers. That's John Simmons, my guest on the podcast today. John is not a product manager, but he represents one of our most important customers. I'm using air quotes. He's VP of North American Sales for Methodics at Perforce. I'm Nils Davis, and you're listening to episode number 100 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. You can find notes for this show at secretsofpm.com slash 100. Now, the sales team is our number one most important ally in a successful go-to-market campaign. Even if you don't have marketing, you have to have sales. But as I've discussed before, and as we'll go into in great depth in this interview, sales can't be successful without good product knowledge. I'll define that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in this interview. And product management has that product knowledge. Now, John started his career in high tech as an engineer at Memorex, but he was soon challenged, as you'll hear, to get into sales. Now, John loves startups and has been at many, both successful and unsuccessful, as well as two long stints at Dassault Systems, a giant French software company that builds many different kinds of manufacturing-related software. I worked with John many years ago at Accept Software, and I've mentioned Accept a number of times on this show because it was a great tool for product managers, but unfortunately, the company was unsuccessful. That failure drove both John and me to do some introspection and research about why and how products fail, even ones that customers love. In this episode, we start to get answers to the following key questions. What should product managers know about sales that it's likely that we don't know? What information do product managers have that you think they should do a better job of communicating to sales? What information does sales have that product management would love to get their hands on, but they're not asking the right questions? And much more, including the book he's working on. I hope you enjoy this interview with John Simmons. John, you and I met in the middle of your career as a sales professional. Tell me a little bit about the beginning and what's happened since we first met at Accept Software. So I started my career as an engineer. I worked for Memorex as a firmware engineer. So I came out of the Navy, went into technology and, and built uh, disk drive storage controllers. And I, I really love technology, right? I, I think at heart, I'm a, you'd call me a geek, but I do love technology and what people are doing. And then in the mid-90s, I was at a startup where I really felt that our sales team was challenged to sell a product that we were making. And we were a startup. I was working for a guy named Gene Amdahl, who came from Amdahl Corporation. And Heard of him. I, I was in a meeting and I said, why don't we sell the product to do this while we wait for it to do that? Because there's a need for customers to do data migration, and we can do that. And the VP of sales looked at me and said, what do you do here? I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm an engineering manager. And he said, then go engineer something. Don't tell me what to do in sales. So I remember writing in my book, go into sales. Right. So <laughs> after that company failed. That was in your little, your personal notebook. Yeah. And I just wrote in there, go into sales. Because I was pretty angry, right? Because he, he didn't listen to what the product could do versus what we were waiting for it to do, right? And, mm -hmm. and we were really running out of money. We could have made money. And I was in my early 30s. I wasn't bold enough back then to go into the CEO's office. And, you know, subsequently the company ran out of money, right? So 
I made the transition into sales and I started out by selling components at a distributor and I focused on Intel processors. And that was my strength because I came out of a processor background. And then from there, I became a part owner in a design services company with a bunch of ex-engineers I worked with at, at Memorex and sold services, which is a great experience for me because services is a little different beast. You know, you've got this bench of people and if they're not working, it's cost. So I did a number of things to, to get everybody working, but you know, I think in around 2000, you couldn't give away a, a, a services consultant. And so we had to fold the company. So I went to work for my first real software company and, and I really loved it. I loved the idea of software having higher margins. I sold data management software for a, for a startup of about 100 people. And, and that's kind of, I got that startup bug again. It was the 100 people all rowing in the same direction, working really hard. But then we got acquired by a $3 billion French company. And so I stayed there for about seven or eight years and realized that things move really slow. It's, it's like an aircraft carrier making it stop. It takes mm -hmm. miles. And it was very difficult to get, even to get a feature in the product, you'd talk to the product manager and he'd say, yeah, that's three years out. Very, very difficult in a big company. So I went back to, I think after that, I went to Accept, really enjoyed the company, a lot of really bright people. That's where I met you. And I, and I thought it was a great product, but when it failed, I, I had to kind of scratch my head as well and say, why did this fail? And along the way, you're learning, right? I, I, I learned that, that if I had to go back and do it again, I probably would have approached selling a little bit differently. And I would have wanted to know who owned the problem, who feels the problem, and then what do they want to do to solve the problem, right? right. So looking back on that good experience, good people, and then I, I went back to, to this $3 billion company. Um, I was pulled back in. I liked the people. And then I, I, I did a, a brief stint with a, a manufacturing software company, Autodesk. Mm -hmm. And I liked the company a lot, but I really did miss kind of this chip design world that I'm in. I don't think sales is meant you're you're really limited to one product or one product line i think it's it's not about what you sell it's how you sell and what led me to where i'm at now is i'm the vice president of north america for methodics um, which was acquired by perforce software and i really like the transition we're making from that startup to a much larger company of course there's some bumps in the road but in general, it's a very good experience, and both are well-run companies. Right, and so Dassault is a super giant company. That was the three billion company, yep. three billion dollar company you mentioned. Perforce is a big company, but much smaller than Dassault. Right? A thousand people, right, versus yeah. tens of thousands. So we met at Accept Software, as you mentioned, and and it's interesting. You had some realizations based on the outcome at, at Accept, where we had a product that our customers really loved. We loved. We used it ourselves. It was for product managers, and yet we didn't figure out how to sell it correctly. And as I've figured out later, or, or rather what I did after that was I said, well, this I don't understand why this didn't work. And so I had to go in and start educating myself on what product management really should be because my feeling is always if sales is missing quota, it's product management's fault. So, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I mean, obviously there's a lot of skills and stuff that sales needs to bring to the table, but I would I would say that's true to some extent, but sales has to own missing quota, right? I mean, there's, I think there's like a hundred steps in the sales motion or thousands of steps, right? Sure. I mean, there's a big piece that product management plays that can help enable it, but sales has to own the lead generation piece, the nurturing of the account, the, the building trust with a client, right? All those things are what sales should be really good at. 
And if you're not getting what you need from product management, you need to make sure to get it, right? Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, to be honest, your book really opened my eyes. And after I read it, I thought to myself, I wish I would have had this book at Accept Software, yep. right? Because it would have put things in perspective for me. And it even put things in perspective for me in my current role, right? Because I still had a, you know, coming from sales and not a product management background, I had this vision of what product management does. And I think you asked a question last week on LinkedIn about roadmaps, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, I always thought that's all product managers do is we go in, we tell them what features we want, the customers beating us up over it. They create the roadmap. Nobody's ever happy with the delivery schedule, but it is what it is, right? And after reading the book, I realized you do a lot of what I already do in sales, except you do it for a lot of customers. Mm -hmm. That value is way more important to me if I can hear the stories of each of those customers where we've actually won the business and why they bought from us, right? That's a big part of it. That's right. Yeah. So just to refresh people's minds about what I talk about in the book, I talk about product management being finding market problems that are worth solving, creating a solution to the problem, and then going to market. And of course, we do that all mostly through other people, like going to market. You know, the sales team is our number one most important ally in that. Because even if you don't have marketing, you do have to have sales, right? Yep. But as I've discussed before, you know, you can't be successful. Sales can't be successful without the product knowledge that they need to, to sell. And what is that product knowledge? Well, it's the problems that we solve, right? Yep. And it's the stories that you just mentioned, the stories of successful customers, right? Yep. And that brings me really to the, to the question. And I mentioned in the intro that I'm getting non-product managers onto this podcast exactly so I can ask these kinds of questions. And the big one is, what do you need from product management that you aren't getting or often don't get? Or maybe you have stories of where you're successfully getting that information. Yeah. If we take a step back and look at what a salesperson has to do in a customer engagement, right? They, they've got to be able to connect with the customer. And I, I don't mean you know, that whole relationship-based selling. What I mean is we're able to ask the right kind of questions that uncover the problems that the customer is having. And we're able to share, like you said, stories about maybe others and similar problems, right? Mm -hmm. If you can establish that connection with a customer, this is where I think in, in step one, product managers and sales can really mesh and really help each other. And in step two is you have to be able to convince the customer, right? And mm -hmm. convincing the customer is, is all about really mitigating the risk of them sticking their neck out for you, right? So so they start to they start to believe they may be onto something, they found a solution to a challenge that they're having, but they need to be convinced because before they take it you know, up to their leadership, they wanna make sure they have all their I's dotted, their T's crossed, and the story is true, right? So the third piece is is collaboration. So so how do you collaborate with a customer? You know, you and I talked a little bit before and I, I have a book, but one of the, that I'm writing, but one of the chapters is really focused on insight selling. And insight selling, lends itself to a lot of what you mentioned in storytelling, right? Insight selling in and of itself is if you picture a, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, each piece, a small piece of information or a breadcrumb you have to drop for the customer to on their own figure out, we have come to a solution together mm -hmm. and this is the best solution. Now you've done all three. So what I could use from a product manager is think of it in that connect, convince, collaborate. Where do you fit into that model, right? And I think it's in all three, to be honest. 
But if we're going to connect, it's going to be with the right stories. If we're going to connect, it's going to be, we've solved this pain before, mm -hmm. right? But we have to understand the pain. So here's what I think a product manager does better than probably most salespeople. They're probably better at asking questions. Sure. They're probably better at deep discovery. I mean, elite sellers are every bit as good as a product manager at asking questions and discovery. But the majority of salespeople, they just want to get to the, can I get the order? Mm -hmm. Right. And so they skip all that process to get there. So this is where a product manager can help a salesperson in, a, in an engagement. And I think the other part is enterprise sales is very different than selling a product that has a, you know, maybe a 30 day sales cycle. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I've, I've had sales cycles from six months to 18 months. 18 months is dropping a lot of breadcrumbs. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's putting a lot of pieces together for the customer. And so that's a real big piece of it. And I do think that product managers bring a different level of credibility into a meeting mm -hmm. than a salesperson does. I'm, I'm seen as selling you something. You're seen as helping them get to where they need to go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you typically use product managers in the sales process? That's a great question. My past experience has been, and, and I will say I'm working with a very good one now, probably the best one that I've worked with, right? But he's very good. So we went from being a small 30-person company to get acquired by 1,000 people, right? 1,000-person mm -hmm. company. And he came in and he tried to really kind of not let the inmates run the asylum anymore, right? It was the, we can't just keep working on features for every big customer, ignore everybody, because then we're not working on maybe big ideas that are going to help customers move even forward, forward mm -hmm. even more, right? The way I'd worked with them in the past was, hey, this customer's screaming about this feature. We need it. We need it by this date or I'm not going to get this deal. And normally I'm working on big deals. So I get a lot of visibility and I get a lot of help, mm -hmm. but that could be at the expense of other customers. So I think what he's done is, is really kind of aggregate all the information, look at what's really important, what has the biggest impact for the product and our customers. So that's the change that I've, I've went through recently. And I really like it. I mean, I may not get every feature request I put in, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to then rely on my, my product manager to go give that roadmap schedule and, you know, justify why we're late. But yep. he has the skill to do that. I, I, I think that's been my experience, but it's getting better. And it's getting better because I know I can help him and he can help me. Mm -hmm. Certainly one of the roles that I think we have as product managers is being the person that says no. Yeah to a customer request. And my goal is always for them, for the customer at the end of that to say, yeah, you know, that was the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. They don't always, but you know, the other, the, you bring up a good, a good point though, because if, if you have a product and you're an expert in the delivery of that solution, customers sometimes are going to veer down the wrong path mm -hmm. and they're going to ask for something that doesn't make sense in, in the grand scheme of things of what they're trying to accomplish. And, and when I went back to, when I, when I talk about convince, right. Mm -hmm. If you're open, honest, transparent, and they trust you, they're going to go in the direction they should go versus the direction they're being pushed, which could be wrong. And so that that's even more important that you've built that trust and they, they're willing to let you convince them with the right information to move in the right direction. Are there any specific things that you would like product managers to know about the sales process that you think they often don't know? I mean, obviously you're writing a book about the sales yep. process. So yep, yep. There's a lot, of, there's a lot in that book. And, yep, and I yep. would guess that maybe there's some specific things that product managers often are not aware of. I, I guess like my overview of what a product manager does, we all make assumptions, 
Mm -hmm. My assumption was they're really good at taking the roadmap, creating a schedule. They give it to us. We deliver it to the customer with that. But they do so much more than that. The same is true about sales. Mm -hmm. And I will say that when you work with someone who is elite in what they do, it makes it much more enjoyable, right? So when I work, when I work with a really good product manager and he's, he's almost not only just solving the current challenges, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, customers buy for two reasons. They're either solving a problem or they're future seeking. Mm-hmm. That's the only two reasons. They're not going to buy because they like you. They're not going to buy because, hey, they've got extra budget and they're going to spend 300 grand at the end of the year. They need to solve a problem or they need to be thinking about their future. Mm-hmm. So so one of the things I think that product managers may, managers may forget is that the elite sellers are able to uncover really important information that's driving the customer to make a change. And And, and I'll give you an example. There was a, there was a customer of mine that said, Coming out of the pandemic, we're going to go through explosive growth. And we're mm-hmm. going to go from maybe 20 of these things we build a year to 80. And so when you do the math, right, I can't hire 4X more engineers. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't afford that. I can't find the buildings. I can't do any of that stuff. Right. I want to know how do I optimize what I'm doing so that I can sustain the growth that I'm going to have with fewer people. Now, I don't want to overwork them. I want to optimize it where they're highly productive. So mm-hmm. when you looked at that business pain, it was very future seeking. And when I talked to product management, well, the first question is, well, what, are they, what features do they need? And I, and I said, well, let's take the, the macro view of what they're asking us. Let's start with where they want to be. And can we support that vision? Right. And that's a tough one for us. But when we meet with them, let's start with where they are and how they're going to get there. And then you know, one of the things that, that I talk about in the book is, is gap selling. And, and, and there's two types of gaps. There's gaps that are in my product that I don't have certain features and I have to work around that. Mm-hmm. And there's also gaps in the customer's environment that says, I, I can't get from A to B because of all these things in the middle that are blocking me. Right. When you can identify, and this is, this is what sale, a really good elite seller does, he identifies what those problems are. And so this is where product management can help us, right? This, I'll say this is where the magic happens. Because now together, we have to figure out of all the things that are, that, that are blocking them, can we get there? Well, maybe we can get 90% there. How do we overcome the 10%? And that 10%, do we even really want to do it? Yeah, or is the 90% enough, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and normally it is, right? Because they know it's a journey, right? Nobody, especially in enterprise sales, they don't expect you to come in and plug into every single opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. But they want to know is they can trust you. So you've connected and you're going to collaborate with them. So if you bring product management in at that time and you start looking at that future seeking mode, that's a really good place to bring in product management. Because I I can't dictate the future of the product, but I can mm-hmm. bring you in to tell me what my customers think they need to solve and have you stew on it. Yep. And to figure out, is there something we can deliver? So I think that uh, my point is product managers think that salespeople are only money oriented. We only mm-hmm. care about the order, but the elite ones really focus on that, that customer journey. That's when I personally love to get into a, into a deal as well. I mean, there's a lot of places where I think yep. product managers can, can provide some value, but that's a great one because it's one of our challenges is figuring out what people need. Yep. And so when we can be brought in in that way, that's really it's always great. 
And it goes to sort of leads into another question, which is what information does sales have? And this is maybe it's hard to maybe it's hard to put a specific thing on this, but what is inf- what information does sales often have that product management is not asking for, but that they need? Yep. Right? That, that would be we'd benefit from it if we had it, but we don't we don't know we should be asking or yep. there's not a channel. Yeah, going back to we were a thirty-person company getting acquired by a thousand-person company. I, I gotta say this was not my idea, but I think it was one of the best ideas that, that I saw come forward. We had a number of customer engagements where, as we went through the sales process, we identified gaps in our product, and so every account really vied for, "Hey, can I get that in the product so I can close my deal?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I believe it was our CEO at the time came up with, "Hey, let's have one document." that tracks all the gaps across all our customers, and then we can weigh them. And you had said someone as a founder is a product manager. In this case, he was, right? Right. And what, what happened after that was we were able to really start to say, hey, I get it. I know why this feature is important across 10 customers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to drive this much more engagement with the customer. Great idea. Let's do it. My job was to gather that information in my meetings and then share that with the team and at that time, engineering got heavily involved as well as our technical solutions team, right? But right. but the truth is, that's the kind of information we get out of meetings that if there isn't a central location to share it with product management, you may never even know that they're asking for a feature that you've been thinking about that you want to justify. Yeah. I, I think this can even happen within the sales org where the individual salespeople hear objections or gaps. And they don't necessarily get shared even within sales. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because because the culture in sales sometimes is, you know, your job is to overcome objections. I don't want to hear about the objections. And, and the, pro- the, the problem with that is you may already be working on that solution with another customer. I don't even know about it. Right. Think about that. Is it there's a problem that came up that I'm I'm battling through. You, you and I are not communicating. Right. Maybe I don't want to tell someone it's an objection because I think I'm going to overcome it. and I'm going to be the hero and hit my number. But in the end, that's why in the book, I focus on team selling, right? This whole uh-huh. idea of team selling is, is how important other people are in the process to get to a successful outcome. That's, right. that's the big piece for me. So I, I think salespeople have a lot of information that sometimes isn't shared for a variety of reasons, but sharing that information, creating a forum to share that information will only benefit the company and more importantly, the product. And I, I love the way you, you talk about this in your book. You know, you you start out by talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset, yeah, right, which is so important. And I, I did a podcast interview with uh, Sabrina Brom a few months ago, and she is a big promoter of the growth and uh, mindset approach yeah. to changing, you know, to, to getting into the growth mindset. And that's what enables you to, you know, you can imagine a salesperson saying, I've got this objection. I'm not really sure how to handle it, but I don't want to tell anybody that I don't know how to handle it. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's a fixed mindset kind yeah. of thing. And if they can have a growth mindset and particularly if they, they can get support where they can surface that to their colleagues or to the product management team, that can really have a big impact. That, that's such a great tie to the growth and fixed mindset because absolutely the, the, the growth mindset isn't afraid of failure because they're going to learn from it. But the fixed mindset is. I'm going to keep my cards close to my chest and no one's going to ever know I failed because I can blame somebody else. Right. Exactly. But yeah. at the end of the day, I think you're absolutely right. And, and and you brought up something to me that I think the best product managers are all growth mindset. They're <laughs> always curious. They're always looking for a better way. 
And I think it's an amazing attribute of product managers. It's not always that way in sales, but but the elite sellers are growth mindset sellers. I, I, I firmly believe that. And I also believe that you can go from being a fixed mindset to growth mindset, but it takes mm-hmm. work and it takes commitment to do that. Yeah, you have to learn how to, that failing doesn't kill you. No. Which is which is hard to learn potentially for some. But it may, take, it may have taken me 30 years to realize that too. So maybe I can share that with younger salespeople and they can, they can learn to fail fast, right? Right. That's, that's yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. You know, the, and the, I guess the good news is that by asking that question that you're scared to ask or admitting that weakness, you're more likely to close the deal, which means you're more likely to make quota. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It should be, you should be in, if, if, if the salespeople are actually coin operated, like, you know, we sometimes just say right. uh, for fun, because we don't really believe that, then uh, if they should be very motivated to be growth oriented because yeah. Yeah. that will enable them to make more. Your, your customers appreciate that too, right? If you're asking questions, not only about your product, but about their environment, their competition, what's going on in their world, right? And you're always curious, that's right out of growth mindset, right? And and they now they now see you as looking out for them, right? That's a great place to be with a customer. Exactly. That makes sense. Well, we've talked about your book a bit. Tell me a little bit more about your book and how you're going about putting this thing together. Yep. I'm not all the way through it, I have to say. Yep. I'm, I'm reading an early draft. You know, right around the beginning of the year, I, I had finished a very, very long sales cycle with a large enterprise customer, right? And, and we were successful in closing a very large deal. And when I looked back at the process it took to get that done and get it across the finish line, I realized there were so many people that contributed to that success, right? It was, you know, the sales team, of course. It even was, you know, the solutions team who who dropped all that very important technical information at the right time, right? There was the applications engineers to help support certain groups within that customer. But then there was the customer success group, right? So once you're going to book the order, what are you going to do post, you know, booking of that order, right? You need to be successful in implementation. And then there was legal who got involved. And then there was revenue operations who got involved in product management. And, you know, towards the end, we had brought on this product manager and he kind of, you know, herded the cats and got us mm-hmm. focused on the things to get us across the finish line. So at that point, I started thinking, you know, sales, too many people have an impression that, you know, sales is a bad word, right? And I really wanted to talk about professional selling. And and we all are in sales. Everybody I just mentioned is part of the sales team, and they're involved in different sales motions across the process, right? So so if you could get that, that whole group of people to understand we are a sales organization mm-hmm. and what we do and what we say matters to customers that's really the intent of the book. To that end, you know, marketing as well, right? I, I once made a comment and I have to rescind it, but I once made a comment that I've never gotten a lead from marketing that turned into anything. <laughs> and that's a terrible thing to say, right? Yes. And, and what I'm seeing later in my career, really good marketing organizations align the messaging to the customer journey and they probably get a lot of the information from the product manager, right? So, so now when they're doing that, they, they, they understand, you know, how to put that messaging together. And what I call it your, your sales story. How do you build that sales story out? So everybody's talking from the same page, right? Mm-hmm. We all understand this is what we have. This is where we sell. These are the personas we're selling to, 
So all the stuff I didn't do it except that I learned, I put it together in a book. And I thought my goal was, you know, at the end of the book, some young salesperson, someone in the middle of their career, even a very senior person can read this and say, I can pick and choose what's really important to me and what I do. But there's a lot of really good, inf- a lot of good information in here, right? You know, professional selling were, were, was really the theme of the book. And one other thing I did differently was I'm not an expert in marketing. So I wanted to bring someone in that is an expert in marketing. And I'm not an expert in technical solutions and, and driving those insights into the conversation. I am in a lot of ways, but the technical people have a lot of value. And the same thing with product management, same thing with customer success. So I asked contributing authors to put a section in the book on what they think is important to sales because it, it can all come from me, but that's just my opinion. I really like you know having this really tightly coupled view of the world so that we work together. I think you watch some of the best companies and it just seems to me like everything is hitting on all cylinders, product management, marketing, messaging, sales, even all the upfront marketing lead generation stuff is there. And companies struggle with that. Right? They, they struggle with how do I get to the right people in an organization? The whole premise of the book was team selling, professional sales, and get her, get everybody to understand we're all part of the sales organization. And then bring in contributors for different yeah. parts as well. Yeah, Absolutely. So really, really interesting yeah. structure. And as I say, I've been really impressed with what I've read so far. Really great stuff. Well, thank you. In thank there. You. Really ties into a lot of the stuff that I talk about on the podcast as well. So, so I'm really happy that your book, which is obviously we have, we've known each other for a while, but we don't necessarily talk that much and chew these things out, but that you're very aligned with stuff that I've said, or that my stuff is aligned with your professional experience. That's really great. uh, I mean, until I read your book, that's when I realized I need to have a section on product management, right? Because there's such a tie to all the customer stories or such a tie to, to why we do things to make the product better. And then, the one thing I think that, that product managers could could add more value for me would be become more future seeking, right? I, I, I always like when a customer, you know, a company becomes kind of a visionary for an industry. Everybody looks to them to be driving the future. So if you have a really good product and you're focused in a really good niche, then why are, why is that company, why is that product management team not driving the future for those future seekers out there? that buying mode of future seeking. I'll tell you another story that that I shared in the book. It's more of a problem. It's either problem solving or future seeking, right? But one of the problems we had as a customer was they had a problem that was costing them $22 million a quarter. And we didn't find that out right away. We found that they wanted to have a product that did X in manufacturing. So the more we dug into this, we we got up to the CIO level and, and he owned the problem. I mean, to the point where the CEO said, find a, find a solution or you're gone. So then, you know, he got us down to the technical evaluator who was out in Colorado and he wanted us to fly out there and talk to him. But he gave us a couple words of advice. One, he doesn't like you guys. Two, he likes your competitor. So he may not be very forthcoming with information as you ask questions. So the strategy we took was we went in, we flew out there, three of us, and I told the technical solutions guy, We'll do introductions. I want you to get up the whiteboard and start drawing out what their process looks like. And I want you to screw it up. And he goes, what? I said, I just really want you to get it wrong. You know, not blatantly where you catch it, but I want it to be wrong. Mm-hmm. He goes, mm-hmm. well, I don't do that. And I said, no, no, you need to do it in this meeting. So he gets up there, he starts writing on the whiteboard. 
And maybe about 10 minutes in, I, I, I'm watching this, this contact technical evaluator squirming in his chair like he wants to say something. So I know he's going to pop out of his chair in a minute and grab the marker. So 15 minutes in, he jumps in because, you know, you guys are completely wrong. So we were there for four hours. For the next three hours and 30 minutes, he drew on every wall on the whiteboard what their process looked like. So we had that as his prize. And along the way, we asked questions, right? Yeah. We never once showed a slide. We never once even talked about our solution, right? Mm-hmm. And then we came in and he goes, can I see a demo before you leave? And we said, no. He said, <laughs> right. I said, we don't know if the demo can be applied to everything you just showed us. So give us two weeks. Let us go back. Let us stew on it. And we'll come back in two weeks. And he said, well, okay, but I need to make a decision by the end of the year. And we're already into the beginning of November, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. sales cycle is not going to be very long. They're under a lot of pressure. And we came back and we tied every one of his key issues in the demo to show him how it could be solved. So he went from this current as is picture on his whiteboards to what he would have. And then he asked, we let him ask questions. Well, how would I do this? Or how would I do that? And we, we spent time with him explaining how he would do it. We went from being a company he didn't like to the company he wanted, right? Because we took the time to understand what he was doing. Our competitor didn't do that. And they were, they were Oracle. Oracle came in at that time, owned the account on many fronts, and completely screwed up the sales process. And so when we came in, we knew there were some gaps. Product management gave us some slides to address those gaps in the meeting. When they came up, we shared with them where we were on those. We closed that deal. We closed it on December 31st. And I remember in the lobby, it was December 31st. There were seven gentlemen from Oracle in the, in the meeting, all were really nice, expensive suits. They walked in first. And my guys were like, I think we're in trouble. They're going in first. I said, no, they're getting told they're not getting the business. <laughs> and they walked out with their heads down, wouldn't even look at us. We walked in and got the order. Nice. Right. So I think that's where, where things work really well, right? Product management helped us identify the gaps in our solution. And we came up with the, with the with really the schedule of when we're going to address those gaps. And we, we hit it out of the park, right? But it's definitely a team effort, right? And, and, it's, and it's really about under, really understanding the problem and making the customer believe, the prospect in this case, yep. that you cared about them, right? And we did, right? I mean, we... You know, we, we certainly didn't want to see people lose their jobs, yep. especially if we knew we could solve the problem. We can't go in and just say we're going to solve the problem. Right? Yep. No one's going to believe you, right? Yep. So so the approach we took, as bad as it sounds, where I knew he would grab the marker, I needed him to grab the marker. I needed him to tell me how wrong we were. Yeah, It could have went the other way. He could have thrown us out and said, you guys don't understand anything. Please leave. But we didn't have a chance either way, right? So. A calculated risk. It was a calculated risk. Yeah. That's a fantastic story. John, this has been a really fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I think you've given us some great insights about what sales needs for some product management, what product management needs from sales, you know, what the, the resources that are there. And obviously there's always a challenge of making that communication bridge. Yep. But I think if you've given us some good insights, I'd love to have you back on when the book is finished. Great. And we can talk about that more and uh, the insights that you've gotten since then. I know you'll have had other folks working on that book as well. Yep. So let's, let's make sure to do that. And if anybody wants to reach out to you or learn more about the book or about connecting with you, what's, what's some good ways of doing that? You can always send them my personal email address. You have that. That'd be the best way to do it. I'll just, I'll put that in the show notes if people want to reach out. 
And LinkedIn, is that a good way to reach out to you as well? LinkedIn's fantastic. Yeah, LinkedIn would be another way. So John Simmons on LinkedIn, and I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. And when your book comes out eventually, we'll talk about that and maybe have you back on the show. Yeah, I think my process is I hope to have it done by the end of the year. I want to go out to an editor and have him edit the book, maybe have some graphics added to it as well. And then I'll either self-publish or look for a publisher, but I'm I'm going to do both of those. So, And I want to pick your brain about how you published your book. Right, yeah, happy to happy to share what I learned. Great. Yeah, I, I thought about that after I read your book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick his brain about how he did this and what he learned because it'd be interesting. Talk about a growth mindset. You have to go into that and say, you know what? I can figure this out. <laughs> I yeah, don't know yeah. anything and I can figure it out. That's why I look at it, right? Yeah. All right, Nils, I, I really enjoyed this too. I, I think it's it's great to reconnect you just from a personal level. I do I do think that there's there's a lot of content here that that will help any salesperson understand really, really what product management does, right? Definitely. That's a definitely. Big yep. Well, thanks very much, John. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Nils. This was a great conversation with John Simmons. I hope you found it useful and full of insights. I'll definitely have him back on the podcast when the book comes out in 2020 so we can talk about it more and get even more specifics on how everyone's in sales. There are links to John's contact information and websites on the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 100. And you can drop a comment on the show page there if you have comments or complaints on the episode or any other episode. You can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Nils Davis on both. Feel free to follow and or connect with me on either platform. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your player of choice if you haven't already. And share the episode with your friends and or enemies depending on how you felt about it. Until next time, this is Nils Davis. Bye-bye.